Hey, this is Jerry Galloway. I'm the pastor of LHA Church, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this encourages your heart, strengthens your faith, and gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Today is Speed the Light Sunday. And today we are honored to have Steve and Elaine Furr with us. They have faithfully, faithfully served throughout the district for many years. And, um, you know, there's something to be said about people who stay the course. People who put their hand to the plow and don't look back. People who serve and give when it's not easy. People who faithfully serve and give and labor when it's tiresome and burdensome. These two people have faithfully served the district. They have served uh, the youth ministry across Indiana. And I tell you, they have done an incredible job giving leadership to the Indiana youth ministries. And I'm so proud, so proud to call them our friends and so proud to have them here with us today. Steve, would you come, my friend? Good morning, Lighthouse. It's great to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. And I mean that. It's great to be in a place where you have a church that is alive and well. And uh, you don't experience that just everywhere you go. Uh, I travel, and I tell you from time to time, I'm in a church where I wonder if the Lord has been there in a while. Have you ever visited one of those places? In fact, remind me about the guy that was visiting a church for the first time. It was one of those ecclesiastical type of buildings with the high arches and stained glass and lots of flowing, flowing robes. And this guy comes in, and he's got an old pair of jeans and a shirt with a hole in it and worn-out tennis shoes. And after the service was over, the bishop came to him and said, Sir, we're glad you visited here today, but before you come back to our church, you need to look around and see how people dress here. So uh, that didn't go over real well. But uh, comes back the next Sunday, and he doesn't have anything else to wear. He's got the same outfit on. And this time, the bishop brings the whole elder board. And they corner him, give him the right act. How I many of you are in trouble when the elders are after you? And uh, they said, hey, listen, we're glad you're visiting. But before you come back again, you need to pray and ask God how you're supposed to dress at our church. And so he went his way. Third Sunday, same outfit because he had nothing else to wear. And By that time, they were livid and they cornered him after the service and said, we thought we told you to see and pray what the Lord would have you to wear. And he told them, well, I did, but the Lord told me he couldn't help me out. And he says, because he ain't never been to this church before. <laughs> How many of you? I love that story, and I apologize if you've heard that before, but it's one of my favorite, favorite stories because that epitomizes, unfortunately, the way a lot of people gather on Sunday morning around this country today. But uh, thank the Lord. We're, we're here to have church. Amen. <laughs> And, and God is real. Um, I want to just say a quick thanks and shout out to your pastoral staff because, in my opinion, you may have, and I don't, say, I don't know if I've ever said this anywhere, but you probably got my favorite pastoral staff in the entire state of Indiana right here at this church. I really, <clears throat> I really mean that. Sometimes you're so close uh, to the forest you don't see the trees, so to speak. And you're probably custom and you've gotten into routine. But brother, Jerry and Paula Galloway are just top door to me. I love these guys. And I've said that to others. I said some of my favorite pastors, my favorite people in the state of Indiana right here 
at Lighthouse. And uh, you may not know, most of you do, but <clears throat> Sister Paula is going to be leading our worship at Youth Convention in a couple of weeks. So how many young people, you're invited. <laughs> we'll be up at Fort Wayne first. Sister Jeannie Mayo is going to be a great, great time to be with us. But uh, appreciate my administrative assistant. One of them is here today. Uh, Children's Director, uh, Sister Jen Reese, we love her, and she's an awesome <coughs> woman of God as well. And uh, Brother Colton's going to be helping out with worship on those on staff here. And last but not least, but one of my very, very favorites, because I've known him since he was a kid, but uh, Pastor Jeremy grew up in our youth group when we were at Elkhart Calvary. And uh, I love this guy with all of my heart. Absolutely do. And uh, it's just great to be able to be in church with you today, Jeremy, and uh, see the presence of God. I could tell you stories about him that might get him fired. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to go there because he could probably tell stories about me might get me fired too. And <clears throat> Before you get too sanctimonious, all of you did things when you were teenagers that thank God that doesn't uh, disavow you for being used for the kingdom of God. <clears throat> and... Uh, but Jeremy is a better youth pastor than I ever was. He's done a great job, and I, that's a good thing because maybe he learned a little bit from, uh, from me in those years. I don't know, but uh, great, great youth pastor, and we thank God. I hope he stays here until Jesus comes because he's, he's a blessing not just to this church but to our serves on our Indiana Youth Ministries Cabinet. In fact, Jeremy, why don't you come up real quick because I've got something I want to give you. I, I want to take this opportunity. <clears throat> um. We're not doing this for the other staff members today because they don't serve on my cabinet, but, but Jeremy does. He's helped me at, at our camps. Last year, we had uh, close to 700 students give their heart to Christ around the altars, and a little more than that, <clears throat> even a little more than 700 baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Powerful, powerful move, but so many things that we're privileged to do. Jeremy plays such a huge part of it, and uh never done this before. I don't even know how many years you've served on the cabinet, but he does so many things. I call him up and he does it. And uh, I, I hear rumor that there's a Texas Roadhouse opening up in Marion's. Do I know that? <clears throat> so the first few meals will be on us, Indiana Youth Ministries. So, <laughs> and, and hold on. I don't want him to rush off because uh, I appreciate Pastor Jerry's willingness to have a missions emphasis and speed the light emphasis on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, uh, so, so vital. I get letters, emails from missionaries all the time say, please, Pastor Steve, let our churches know how vital Speed the Light is because we could, we could stay on the field and live in a mud hut and wear worn out uh, tennis shoes and eat pork and beans the rest of our life, but we could not continue to do on the field what we're doing without our vehicles, without our sound systems, without our printing equipment, without the, the tech equipment that we need to do to, to present the gospel in our field of ministry. And so that's a very real reality. And uh, Jeremy did something last year that earned him something. Now, I'm, this is not just for him, but at convention here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be recognizing a couple of three dozen, my wife probably knows the number more than I do, of students and adult leaders that have in the last year given over $1,000 or more personally to speed the light. And we felt like in that kind of a uh, work and sacrifice and, and giving. It deserves a little bit extra. And uh, this is only a little a token of our appreciation, but we're going to be passing these out. And uh, we'll give you this uh, today, and you can wear it on in convention. But this says, Indiana 1 in 1,000, speed the light. And uh, it belongs to you, brother. So. <laughs> but his, let me just say this before he sits down. 
His, uh, his leadership and his uh, leading by example helped you guys. I want to get this number right. Excuse me. I meant to have these on already, but I want to make sure I get the number right. Marion Lighthouse, Assembly of God, last year had an all-time giving record in Speed the Light giving $8,274.36. Amen, amen. And you, you folks here were one of t- about 29 churches in Indiana that had an all-time record in giving last year, helping us collectively to set an all-time record giving for Indiana, giving $357,000 last year <coughs> for Speed the Light. How many say amen? And that is a tremendous thing. And I'll say one other thing, and I'm going to let this brother get sit, sit back down, but uh, one of the real... Uh, uh, people say, well, what's the momentum built? One of the real catalysts for that has been the 1 in 5,000 campaign. We're going to give an opportunity uh, here at the close this morning for those that feel spirit-led to, to pledge between now and this time next year to do at least $100 for Speed the Light. Uh, you become a member of the 1 in 5,000 campaign, and that has really caught momentum and helped us. And we've got students and leaders all across our state uh, the last year that have done that. Many have done it. That. We, we're praying for 5,000 people in Indiana in 2019 to give at least $100 to Speed the Light and or BGMC. But we're praying also for 500 uh, students or leaders to do uh, $1,000 or more. That's in order for us to reach the goal of a $1 million. I'm going to show you some projects in a minute why we need to do that because Jesus is coming soon, time's running out, and we can't delay the work of the Master, amen? <clears throat> but uh, that momentum has is, is, is made a, a huge, huge difference in a normal year We'll have about six or seven or eight churches that break an all-time record. Last year, and I believe due to the 1 in 5,000 campaign as much as any, we had 29 churches that did that. So give me a great big praise to the Lord, and thank you, Jeremy. (coughs) We don't apologize for missions emphasis. Amen, Brother Jerry. So we don't apologize for taking a Sunday morning to give special emphasis to Speed the Light, BGMC, or missions. Because it's not the great suggestion, it's the great commission. Amen? You know the last words, what Jesus said before he sent it up to heaven after uh, the resurrection? The Bible says he told the disciples to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And uh, how many of you have ever had that opportunity uh, at least once in your life you've been in a service where the preacher gave an altar call, an invitation to accept Christ. How many of you ever been in a service at least one time? How many of you believe it's not fair that any of us have that opportunity twice until everyone's had it once? And Speed the Light is the youth-initiated program of some of the God that's helping to make that happen around the world. And the reason it's so, it's so powerfully important is because statistics tell us across the board from many denominations that as many as three and a half billion people, that's with a B, billion people on the planet earth today still have not had an adequate presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them have never, are in, in, in nations that they've never had an opportunity to hear the gospel story told. And folks, we want to we do something about that. Can I hear an amen? We want to be a people that are obedient to the Lord and uh, submissive to Him and willing and, and ready and able to help Him in whatever way that He calls us to do. And um, I want to show you a video here in just a second that shows you one of the, the projects that is making this happen in so many nations around the world. Not only do all of our Indiana missionaries require the Speed the Light system, but another major component of what Speed the Light does, MBGMC, is uh, Convoy of Hope. I was in Springfield, Missouri, 
a few months ago and was there at the warehouse. How many of you have ever heard of Convoy Hope? You're familiar with what they do. One of the world's uh, greatest humanitarian service organizations, nonprofit organizations that's existed since, uh, I think, 1992. And they uh, literally feed hundreds of millions of people around the world every year with food feeding initiative programs, with uh, outreach, uh, community outreaches, and with disaster, disaster relief. We live in Indiana. We're probably not going to have a hurricane here anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? But you never know but what a tornado or an earthquake or a flood or something may blow away everything that you, you own and you, you, you treasure. And it is so comforting to know that Convoy hopes something like that were to happen in Marion, Indiana. They would be one of the first ones here to help you gut out your house, clean it out, help you refurnish, help you get the food and the, the drinks and all of the life-needed resources in your hands to make it happen. Panama City is not in the news like it was two or three weeks ago when Hurricane Michael hit through there. But that one was very, very close to home because I'll tell you this. I'm a Hoosier. I've lived in Indiana for now over 35 years. So how many of you vote with me right now that that qualifies me for being a Hoosier? Even, even though I wasn't born here, I've lived here for 35 years. So I was born in the Show Me State, but I don't claim that as home now, okay? I was only there for a few months. <laughs> but I lived in Panama City, Florida as a kid. My dad, in fact, I want to back up. I just error in a way. My mom and my wife are here. Can everybody give a shout out to mom and Elaine? They're right here on this front row. <clears throat> my, Jen. my mom and dad pastored for the better part of 50 years. Most of those years were in Illinois. And, uh, but in my early years, formative years, Gracewell Junior High pastored in Panama City, Panama City First Assembly of God. And it was a great church, Pentecostal church, much like the kind of worship you have here this morning, Paula. We had it, in fact, <clears throat> Uh, we'd have as many back in those years, back in the 70s, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but we had as many people show up on church on Sunday nights as we did on Sunday mornings. Any of you guys folks remember that happening? <clears throat> and then as a nation, we backslid, and we've kind of we've got a, uh, I'm not, I'm just tongue-in-cheek there, but, uh, but we did that. We had extended revival meetings. We didn't have church at Panama City first until somebody had given a message in tongues and somebody had danced in the spirit. We had Brother D- Brown would d- dance across this way and then Brother Rivers would dance back the other. We'd always used to watch the one that would dance backwards in the spirit and wait for him to have a multi-collision with the guy that was going forward with his eyes closed. And, but those were kind of services I grew up. I thank the Lord for that heritage because that prepared me in so many, many ways, I believe, for the altar services we experience around camp. And if you don't believe that, come over to Lake Placid and visit one of our camp services. You'll see what that's about. But uh, here's the news. Two, three weeks ago, basically, that church that we lived in was wiped out by Hurricane Michael. And my sister tells me she's on Facebook more than I am with the people there, that many that we've known. She says uh, probably half or as, maybe as many as two-thirds of the people at church now don't have a home that they live in. So it's very, very close to home. Convo Hope is making a huge, huge difference in that, and they will continue to do that. I want you to just watch this little video footage, if we can pull that up, and because uh, this is one of the major projects. I want you to be aware of where right Hi, this is Hal Donaldson of the Convoy of Hope, and I want to say a thank you to all of you who have been praying for us and giving to Convoy of Hope for the disasters that hit North Carolina that also hit Florida. Please know that our team has been on the ground for the last month, meeting needs, responding to the cries of hurting people who have lost everything that they own. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're standing next to someone who's looking at a home that no longer exists. They've lost everything. But I want you to know because of your generosity, your partnership with Convoy of Hope, 
our team is on the ground. And we're meeting needs in a physical way, but we're also praying for people and letting them know that Jesus loves them. You're not hearing a lot about North Carolina and Florida because it's out of the news media, but please know the needs remain. There are so many hurting people and there's so much work to be done. With your generosity, your support, our promise is we're going to stay. We're going to stay there walking alongside people, making sure that they can put their lives back together. That's our promise to you. To date, we have had thousands of cars come through our distribution centers to receive help. And we have 50 truckloads of supplies that are going to Florida, North Carolina. I just want you to know it's because of your support that all that's possible. So God bless you today. Thank you for caring and thank you for giving. Man, let me see those trucks on that video there. Those are the Convo Hope trucks that many of them have a half million miles on them or more. Many of them have close to a million miles, and they're desperately need replenished. Thanks to the giving in Indiana last year, we are able, we're able this year to purchase a, a Convoy Hope refrigerated truck, over $125,000 vehicle that's going to travel around the world, around the country, and it's going to continue. We're going to have it at convention. <laughs> They're going to bring it to youth convention, and we're, we're excited about those, those kinds of things. And that man that just uh, gave you that uh, uh, video footage there, that, uh, that script portion there, Hal Donaldson is the director, national director and founder of Convoy Hope. When he was nine years old, his dad was killed by a drunk driver, dad and mom, in a car accident. The father was killed. The mom was in a coma for over a year. And he and his two brothers had no extended family close by. A family member in the church that lived in a double-wide trailer took them in. And when the mom finally got out of the hospital a year and a half later, the boys were able to go back and to live with her, but had to live on welfare all throughout their teenage years because their dad's income was gone and she didn't have any other source of income. And the Lord took that horrible, horrible situation and raised up a heart of a man. The, I'm telling you, the most generous, kind-hearted person I have ever met in my life, not even a second place even close, that Hal Donaldson we just saw there. And the Lord's used that story that came out of his life in order to raise up to found a ministry called Convoy Hope that's touching the world. And Speed the Light, I'll tell you, every single truck that they have is purchased and provided to them through Speed the Light Fund. So it's a huge, huge thing. We're going to give you opportunities, as I said, at the close here in a minute just to be a part of that. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6 and... Uh, I want to read a story that is a very familiar one. It is uh, one of the most powerful uh, miracles in all of the Word of God. And as I understand, didn't realize this until just recently, it's the only miracle of Jesus that is uh, documented in all four Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and the fish. I want to preface this just by saying... Um, in fact, uh, well, let, me, let me just say this. I was talking with pastors before service. The district, after 25 years, has allowed us to take sabbatical a month of, of uh, August and September. We were privileged to go to the Holy Land. Anybody in the room ever been over <clears throat> to Israel? You need to send your pastors. <laughs> uh, don't allow them to be stupid like me and wait until I was as old as I was to go. <laughs> Incredible, incredible time. Though sincerely, all my heart would encourage you. You'll, you'll have a better pastor and more round, even well-rounded ones when they get home. But incredible time. But we had the privilege for the first time. It's so surreal to even stand here and talk about it. But to walk the Via Dolorosa and go to Golgotha 
and stand there at the garden tomb, all the locations where Jesus ministered. And the day we were walking the Via Dolorosa, it was so specific. They stopped you certain points along the way and said, this is where they believe that the Lord's cross was dropped and it was picked up and carried for them. This is where he was beaten. This is where he was tried. And you, you go through all of that. And the Lord was speaking into my heart that day. You, you pray that when you're on sabbatical and you have two months off that God will speak to you, man. And if you have listening ears when you're there, that God will speak. And the Lord began to speak into my heart about the fact that Jesus told his disciples to take up their cross and to follow him. He told them to lay down their nets, come and follow him. Take up their cross, come and follow him. And I believe 2,000 years later, Jesus is saying to that just as well to us today. He's calling us to take up our cross and to follow him. Jesus, here's the, the, the word the Lord gave to me when we were walking that day in Jerusalem, that Jesus has paid the ultimate price of sacrifice and suffering and pain and agony. He went all of that through that for you. Put your finger on your heart and your chest right now. He went through all of that for you. And I want to ask you the question that Jesus asked me that day when we were walking the Villa Dolorosa. How much are you willing to sacrifice for him? See, I submit to you, church, and this is what the Lord kind of led. And this led me to the scripture I'm going to preach today. But this is what the Lord began to speak into my heart that day. And I prepared a, a word for you, I believe, from him today for Lighthouse. But uh, churches that are meeting across America today, for the most part, are not full of adulterers and uh, drug users and drug dealers. They're not full of mafia members. This church, like so many others, I doubt there's very many murderers that are sitting here in our midst. Not very many liars and cheaters and swindlers. Not very many hardcore criminals. And yet what God seemed to speak in my heart is that even though we don't have murderers and adulterers sitting here this morning, our churches in America today are full of sinners. Full of sinners. And I point my finger at myself this morning because we're all guilty of a called a sin that's called the sin of omission. And my Bible tells me that he that knows to do good and does it not for him, it is sin. If we know that we are commanded to go into all the world and we don't lift a finger to do about it, a thing about it, then it for us becomes a sin. And when we stand before God, I'm telling you, he's going to have a very, very, the last words that he gave are going to be the words he's going to judge us over on that great judgment day. And if you don't believe those numbers are right, just George Barna, let me just share. In fact, I want you just to stand with me as I get ready to read this scripture. But George Barna has these numbers. He says that 95% of all Christians, if this church here today, Lighthouse, is like the average evangelical church in America, if you're just middle of the road, 95% of us in this room have never led anybody to Christ. Folks, that's sins of omission. 95%, 80% do not consistently witness, according to Barna. 98% are not actively involved in any kind of evangelism strategies whatsoever. That, friends, you can call it whatever you want, whitewash it if you want, but that is a sin of omission to not be involved to any degree in any kind of evangelism. It just is. I may not ever get invited back to preach at Lighthouse again, but I'm just going to share what the Lord laid on my heart. When we were in Israel, 71% of evangelical Christians in America today do not give one penny toward financing the Great Commission. Many of them don't even tithe. 
And folks, again, I want to say to you that when the Lord separates the sheep and the goat, he's not going to say, uh, oh, you are an adulterer, so you go, uh, or you're, you're a murderer, so you go, or you that, and you're that. But, you know, he's going to say, hey, the sheep are going in, the goats are not. Why are the goats not going in? He's going to, he says, because you did not do the will of the Father, which is in heaven. So this is serious stuff today. And I don't want to put a heavy guilt trip on anybody this morning, but I just want to shake up and wake up those of us that are involved in sins of omission and let you know at the close this morning, we're going to give an opportunity for us to lay our heart on the altar and repent and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me, dear God, to reengage in doing what I know you called me to do. Amen. John chapter 6, as I said, is a very familiar story about a young man. He's one of the heroes. I like to think he was a teenager. The Bible doesn't say he was a teenager, but uh, he says, says he was a young boy. I'm just going to say, for the sake of our sermon this morning, I'm sure Jeremy's preached that he was a teenager many times, so we're going we're gonna to say that. But this is a new international version. I believe we've got that up on the screen if you want to follow, but this is a John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. I mean, the Lord's testing us even again this morning. He's going to test us in a little bit to see where our faith is. He tested the disciples here in the Scripture. He asked them only to test him. Verse 6 says, For he already had in mind what he was going to do. In verse 7, Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Lord, we thank you for the word. And, Lord, I pray you challenge us in these next few moments to have ears to hear, dear God, to not just be hearers of the word, Lord, but to be doers as well. And, Lord, that we'll be obedient and committed and consecrated. Lord, you've paid the ultimate price for us. So, Lord God, we want to return. Lord, we want to lay down our life, dear God, for you. Take up our cross, Lord, and follow you. And we'll give you all thanks today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. You can have a seat. This is a powerful, powerful story. When I get to heaven, I want to see the instant replay of one happy meal put in the hands of Jesus and him breaking it and 5,000 people eating and 12 baskets left over. I want to see that one. I just wonder if the loaf stretched as he broke them, you know, like Pinocchio's nose. I don't know how that happened, but 5,000 plus people were fed. One of the things this story tells me, folks, is that the Lord is not just concerned this morning about the spiritual need of man, but he's concerned about the physical as well, amen? He's not willing that any should perish, but all should have eternal life, but he's also not willing that we suffer and that we hurt and that so many millions and millions of children go to bed every night with hunger and starvation looming over their life. So this is a story that tells us that uh, 
A little boy had a giving heart. He had faith. He had obedience. He put it in action. And I believe it gives us a recipe for a miracle. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a miracle in your life. I want to say that sometimes God will just work and he'll just bring you one out of his goodness. But I'm convinced the longer I serve the Lord that there's a recipe for the miraculous in your life that if you will position and posture yourself for it, that you will line yourself up to be a likely candidate for God to pour out the miracle work in your life that you need. I don't care what it is this morning. If you came with a physical need, how many know our Lord is able to heal and to set us free from every sickness and every disease and every pain and every, every problem? If you had come with a financial need, I'm telling you, the Lord is here to minister to your need, to give you a miracle. If you have an unsaved loved one, I'm telling you, the Lord is here this morning to work the miraculous in your life. But sometimes we need to be at a place where we have a little bit of faith and we put a, a recipe into action that allows God to freely work in our lives. And the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, there's just a couple of three uh, <clears throat> points of recipe to the, for the miraculous. I want to say that miracles happen to people that focus on the problem solver and not the problem itself. Can I hear an amen? I want to repeat that. I believe that miracles happen for people that focus on the problem solver and not the problem itself. Church, I want to tell you something. If all you ever do is focus upon your issues and your trouble and your trial, if all you ever do is focus upon, oh, my, I don't have any finances to give today. I don't have a job. I don't have the resources I need to do what I know I'm supposed to do. If you focus and are consumed on that, then you're going to live there for the rest of your life. If you have a physical ailment today and all that you do is focus and think upon that and the troubles and trials and doom and gloom and agony that's on you, then that's very well where you're going to live the rest of your life. But when we put our eyes on Jesus, that old song says, and we look full in his glory in his face, things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light, glory of his face. We need to have our eyes on the problem solver this morning. Can I hear an amen? And that's Jesus. See, the Lord came, they had a problem. They were in the middle of the desert. There wasn't a McDonald's or Burger King or Pizza Hut anywhere nearby. We spent one night at the Sea of Galilee when we were there just a few weeks ago. It was amazing. We saw the mountains, and trust me, there, there actually is a McDonald's there now. So they, they've got things. But I promise you, 2,000 years ago, there was no McDonald's. So they're in the middle of this wilderness, and... The disciples are there, and Jesus is there, and you got 5,000-plus people. And Jesus said, what are we going to do? It's starting to get late in the day. We can't send these people on the, home. They'll starve on the way, we, or they'll be hungry on the way, and they'll be weary on the way. And Philip and Andrew did exactly what so many of us do in our everyday life. And I want you to get this. There's a word this morning. They, both Philip and Andrew were skeptic and cynical about the whole situation. In fact, if you read Matthew's account, they didn't even want the crowd there. They had asked Jesus to send them away. My wife just came back from a Joyce Meyer conference. She got to go with some of her friends and said that Joyce Meyer was preaching on that. And I, I give that little nugget of truth to that for her. I probably wouldn't even thought about it otherwise. But uh, talking about the disciples wanted the crowd to be sent away. But Jesus said, no, we're going to get them something to eat. And Philip says, well, Lord, we eight months' wages won't raise enough funds to feed these people. And, and uh, Andrew is skeptical. They're cynical. They're, like, they're looking at their problem like a lot of us, looking at our paycheck and our, our checkbook, looking at our resources, 
looking at our problems and our trials, and we're saying, I can't do anything for God because of this, 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 and this. I got this, this, and this, so I'm, therefore I'm, I'm, I'm not a candidate to be used for the miraculous of God. And you know what? Thank God there was a little boy there, a teenage boy, I won't say little, but a teenage boy there that stepped up. You know what? He had more faith than the disciples did. And he said, Lord, if you want to feed these people, here's my lunch. And Jesus took, you know the story, took that, broke it, had them sit in groups of 50 and passed it out, and one of the great miracles of the, of the Word of God and it showed us. I believe today, church, that all things are possible to those that believe. Can I hear an amen? I believe it's possible for you to be healed today. I said, I believe it's possible for you to be healed today. I believe it's possible for your unsaved loved ones to come to the Lord today. I believe it's possible because with God, all things are possible. I believe it's possible for every missionary need in our fellowship to be met in 2018 because churches like Lighthouse are stepping up and saying, you know what, we're going to get the job done. Got 2,700 plus missionaries in the Assemblies of God in every, pretty much every part, nation, region of the world and their desperate need of, of project needs for Speed the Light PGMC. I believe it's possible for their needs to be met. I believe it's possible for every tribe, every tongue, every region, every nation to hear the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world. I believe that's possible. And I believe that's going to happen. And then the trumpet of God is going to sound because he said, this gospel will be preached in all nations and then the Son of Man is going to return. How many want Jesus to come back? Then get off your hind end and start helping our missionaries get the gospel out. <laughs> To all the corners of the world, because as soon as we do that, I'm telling you, the Bible says he's coming back. And Jesus dared the disciples to leave their nets, to take up their cross. And I believe he's saying to that as well to us today. Galatians 2.20, Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was his faith that kept him through labors and stripes. And first, Second Corinthians says, prisons and death and lashes and rods and stoning shipwrecks, perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, perils of weariness and toil and sleepiness, cold and nakedness, tribulations, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, fasting, dishonor, unknown, dying, chastened, sorrowful, poor, and having nothing, hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down and Paul his life he he suffered for the work of the, of the gospel and all of those ways were reality for him and so many of us today we're we're the comfort and we we uh we want our toys I want to tell you that the miraculous will happen when we focus upon our eyes upon Jesus and his need but I want to say secondly the miracles happen to people that step out in faith to partner our resources with the Lord. I believe miracles happen when people step out in faith in order to partner their resources with the Lord. It's interesting. You read so many of the miracles of the New Testament. Jesus doesn't just go up and just randomly, oh, you look sick, here you go, and you're well. He had them stretch out their hands, had them stretch out their faith, had them to take up their cot and follow after him, had, in this case, them to, present the food. You know, Jesus could have created loaves. He could have created food out of the stones. He could have done that, but he had a cooperation. He had a partnership. In church today, I want to tell you, we need to understand that the Lord desperately wants and desires for you to partner with him in order to get the great commission filled. You are not just plan 
A or plan B. You are plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. The Lord has chosen to use us to partner with us to get the job done. I'm, a, I'm the student ministries director now. Uh, used to be called district youth director, but that's our title now. We're doing uh, both uh, youth and, and children. But uh, came from the National Leadership Conference, and the student ministries director shared a couple of stories. I want everybody to pretend. Uh, how, many, how many young people we got in the house here today? Yeah, that's, that's a relative term. If you're not 110, you're young. Heard about a lady in Indianapolis, true story, on the radio celebrating her 110th birthday. And the, uh, discharge, or the radio announcer said, what's the best thing about turning 110? And she said, no peer pressure. <laughs> that was immediately her response. How many pray if you live to be 110 that you'll have wit? <laughs> you have a mind left by then. I don't see anybody here that looks like they're 110 yet. So we're, we're young people today, okay? We're all youth. I want to tell you a couple of youth testimonies that uh, came out of that leadership conference I went to that are inspiring and motivating to me. Again, I believe it was a young person in John chapter 6 that led the way, made the miracle happen. And thank God there are students in our fellowship across the United States today that are leading the way and are changing their churches and their communities and changing the world because of their uh, steps of faith and putting into action and partnering with the Lord. But our NAS director told us about a young man in a, uh, Louisiana, I think it was outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 17 years of age last year, that was at a, a mission service much like this, and the Lord spoke into his heart that he was to give over $1,000, to give at least $1,000, and even more so if he could for, for Speed the Light. And his name was Riley. He said, I was a little taken back by that because I didn't have a job. He said he played on his high school football team, and he was very involved in school sports, and he didn't have a job because of those things, and so he didn't know how he was going to raise the money. But he felt like the Lord spoke very clearly to him to raise $1,000. And not only to do that, he said that he felt like the Lord gave him a strategy on how it was going to be done. He was a second-string quarterback on his high school football team. And the Lord uh, spoke to him and says, for every touchdown pass you throw this year, people are going to support that and give to missions. And he thought that was kind of an odd thing to him. But he said, but Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm the second-string quarterback. How am I going to throw touchdown passes when I'm standing on the sideline all, all season long? Well, the Lord knew what he was up to because his fate would have it. Story goes that about four days before the first game, this would have been the fall season last seven, year 17. Guess what? The first string quarterback had a knee injury and he was out for the year. And all of a sudden, now Riley is the first string quarterback of his high school football team. He gets busy on social media and he starts telling all of his friends and family, hey, I need your support. God wants me to raise money for Speed the Light. And how about you give me X amount of dollars for every touchdown pass I throw this year? And some people probably didn't have a lot of faith he was going to throw a lot, so they, they were giving him a lot of money and all that. And he was getting all, all of his family members. And he went to his head coach, and he said, Coach, here's what I'm doing. I'm in the youth group at home, and I feel like God wants me to do this for Speed the Light, for supporting our missionaries' transportation, communication equipment needs all around the world. And I, for every touchdown pass, the Lord's told me I raise money. Will you support me? And this football coach looked at him and said, Well, Riley said, I would love to support you with that, but I cannot do it said, if I, if I were to give you money for that and I got back to school board, I'd get fired. I'd lose my coaching position. There's no way I could do it. I believe in what you're doing 100%. He said, but here's what I will do. He says, you know what I'm going to do? This year, this fall season, when our team gets the ball in the red zone, those of you 
folks don't know about football, but it's inside the 20-yard line, and you're about to score. He says, when we get the ball inside the 10, 20-yard line, I'm going to give you at least one opportunity every single time before we run it in, give you one opportunity to throw a pass and see what happens and sort of throw a touchdown pass. I don't know what the final number was exactly, but they told us at the conference that by the time the year over, he threw many touchdown passes and actually wound up not raising just 1000 but over $5,000 he raised that year. <clears throat> And I just got a feeling, I just got a feeling he'll never forget that. And I just got a feeling like the boy with the loaves of the fishes, they, they never forget that. I imagine they probably go to their uh, grave or someday way years later when they're sitting around with the grandkids around the, around the table, they'll be telling that story about what happened and it, it built their faith uh, unctioning in their life at that time. They told us also about a girl, teenage girl in southern Missouri that was at the youth convention about this time last year there and God spoke to her to step out in faith, and he gave her a specific number. I want you to give $734 to speed the light this coming year. And she thought that was really odd that the Lord would give her a specific kind of a number, but she couldn't get away from it. She went home, she told her dad, and also like the other fellow didn't have a job, so her dad says, well, I'll tell you what, let's do, let's go hunting. Now, I don't know what everybody feels about shooting live game here, I know that, uh, but that's what they do in southern Missouri, so just, just get over it. They go hunting and... <clears throat> Everybody in Missouri, I was born there, I can tell you, I know that they have antlers in their house when you go in. That's a required stock and staple. But uh, So this girl's father takes her hunting, and she shoots her first deer. And they were able to take, I don't know if they had multiple kills, I don't know what, but they took the meat to the market. This was several days later. Nobody at the market knew anything about this girl's pledge. Folks, I'm not making this up, but this is what was told at the national conference. True story happened last year in Missouri. When she turned the, the, the deer meat in at the market and got the receipt back on the, the uh, amount of gain that they got, $734 on the button. <laughs> I want to tell you right now, I want to tell you right now that that girl will never, never forget. And I would submit to you, church, that when you step out in faith and say, well, you know what, I'm going to quit being a bitch sitter, I'm going to quit being a pew warmer, and I'm going to partner with God and step out in faith and do something miraculous, that God will do something through you that you will never, ever forget. You'll never forget it. And God wants us to partner. God values our giving differently than man. God sees and values our attitude. Everybody say attitude. attitude about giving. We're not TV evangelists here this morning Say, will you give your money to me so I can buy, drive BMWs and Rolls Royces and travel in my jet plane. That's not what this is about. And sometimes we get a hard case and a callous heart and a callous thought about any, any preacher that gets up and says give. But I want to remind you that Jesus says to be a cheerful giver. Can I hear man? Give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For whatever measure that you give, it shall be measured back to you. Maybe the reason some of us don't have those encounters and experiences is because we've measured away so little, given away so little. God values our attitude. He values our giving. And he cares about our obedience. It is a matter of he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. It is sin. But God can multiply what's in your hand, but he cannot multiply it until it's in his hand. And he cannot multiply it until it's broken and given to him. And lastly this morning, I want to say that if you're in need of a miracle this morning, you need to understand that miracles happen as we release. Everybody say release what's in our hand and put it into the hands of Jesus. See, there's a difference 
between making a choice to do something and releasing. Don't get me started on this. I'm going to get out my own hanky and start preaching right now but to myself. But how many times have I been to gatherings like this and uh, missions, conventions, and people say, Oh, I'm going to do this. Praise God. And they dance in the spirit and they shout in the tongue. And you know what? They don't ever do this. They made a choice at the altar, but there's no follow-through. And, folks, we need to understand the miracle doesn't happen just when we get convicted or just when we shed a tear and just when we say, Lord, I'm going to do this. But the miracle happens when we actually follow through and do it and release. It was as the boy gave the loaves and fishes into the hands of Jesus that he was able to break it and and to, to multiply it and to make it work. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to show you another video here in just a sec. And uh, then we're going to challenge us, this place, to release what we have. Brother Jeremy and Pastor Jeremy gave me the liberty today to let you know that on in your seat there is a, don't pull them up just yet because you'll, you'll miss this video. You're going to miss, but we're going to have it in just a moment. But there's, there's an envelope and an opportunity, um, one in 5,000 challenge, to ask everybody in this place to commit to doing $100 or more for Speed the Light. Over the next year. Some of you haven't done that already in 2018. Could well do that between now and the end of the year. We need 5,000 people that will release what you have. And you say, well, Brother Steve, I, I don't have the funds wherewithal to do that. Well, Philip, Andrew, look at the teenage boy and listen to what he did. And look what he did. <clears throat> and let's be obedient likewise. But release what's in our hand in order uh, to make a difference. I want you to see one more time what so much of our funds, what so much of the dollars are going for this year. The 2018 National Speed of Light Project has been funding and replenishing the Convoy Hope trucks. We thank the Lord. This past year, we've been able to simulate over $200,000 to Indiana missionaries, missionaries around the world that are so desperately in need. <clears throat> Folks, think about it. They've left the comfort of their home. They've left their Marian Lighthouse Assemblies of God, wherever it was. They've left their community, their neighborhood, and the home, and they live on a foreign field somewhere, and many of them not supported enough to even hardly get by, and they're saying to us that they desperately need uh, their, our help. So today, we're going to have an opportunity. That's why we need 5,000 people to say, over the course of this next year, I'm going to do $100 or more uh, for Speed the Light. Many of these dollars will help us to uh, convoy Hope Truck as well that we're, we're trying to raise funds for. I want you just to watch this video again. This brings it close to home. This shows uh, what, what's been happening in Panama City. Go ahead and just show that. Hi, this is Jeff Nini with Convoy of Hope. Hurricane Michael hit the Florida coast as the strongest storm to ever hit this part of the country. But the local church response has been every bit as strong. When Convoy of Hope first arrived in Mariana, Florida, our first calls were with local churches. The local church has deep roots into the culture and fabric of a community. They can provide hundreds of volunteers. By utilizing these volunteers, Convoy of Hope has been able to get out into over 20 cities in this part of the country, responding to needs, providing things like food, water, hygiene products, baby supplies, all items that people desperately need during this time of great tragedy. The community has been amazing. People have come out and helped. I mean, it almost makes me cry, and it's sad, but it's heartwarming. 
at the same time. They've brought in tarps, uh, they've brought in meals, they've brought in water, just the little things. The people, the look on their face when they come here to pick up what they're getting, the smiles, the relief, is, is hopeful. A, a hand offered is hopeful. That is what working with volunteers from local churches can do. Our philosophy is that we want to make the local church the hero in their community. We know the day will come when we close the doors on these big trucks and we go home, but that local church is going to remain. And the impact the local church has on their community will remain forever. Thank you for your support. When you partner with Convoy of Hope, you're not just partnering with an organization, but you are empowering local churches all across this area to reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus to their community. I want you to stand with me, if you would, across the sanctuary. And I want to I wanna give you a dare. I want to dare everybody. Have you ever been dared to do something you know you shouldn't do? I remember when I was in high school, some friends of mine that took me to a rock quarry, and uh, it was Old Hickory Lake. And they said, hey, let's jump off this rock quarry. It's about a 60-foot drop down into the water below. We had no idea what was down underneath there. But um, I watched them do it first, and they came up and they survived. And I think it was just because uh, there was a girl or two there I was trying to impress that I went ahead and jumped off to. Stupid thing to do. Jump 60 feet into water. You don't know what's underneath there. This morning, I'm not daring you to do something stupid. I'm going to dare you to do something that would be the greatest thing you could ever do with your finances in your life. That's a good place to say amen. I'm not daring you to do something stupid. I'm going to dare you, like this little boy, to give away your lunch and see what God can do. I'm going to dare you this morning to make a faith promise. I'm not asking you to make a pledge. Now, you got to understand the huge, huge, huge difference there is between a faith promise and a pledge. We could, we could really scream out, set a pledge, and folks could do that, and that could be done completely without God. Uh, faith promise is different than that, though. I, maybe you, First of all, you calculate your pledge. You can calculate mathematically. I, I can afford X amount of dollars out of my paycheck this year. I can... I can afford this amount next week, next month. I can get by with that. That's, that's a pledge. We're not, we're not interested in pledges this morning. We're interested in faith promises. A faith promise says that unless God intervenes and help me, I can't not make this happen. Thus, then, since the, the God factor, <laughs> faith promise, that by faith this is what the Lord will enable me to do. One of my mentors former Nash Youth Director, Brother Tom Green, who's, I don't know if I've ever met anybody who had a heart for missions any more than Brother Tom, but he used to say to us, and it's so, so real, and I can hear him saying it right now. He said that unless your faith promise scares you to death, then it's not a faith promise of God. Unless it scares you to death, if you know that you can do it in your own self, but how about stepping out in faith? I want to dare you today to step out in faith and say, Pastor, Jerry, I want to do something I've never done before, and I want to do something. I want to take a dare and do something that's a risk, and I'm going to take a faith promise. I'm going to do something great for God. I want to dare you to open up your eyes and look on the fields and know that they're white and to harvest, and that there are people that are dying. There are missionaries that are desperate need. There are situations around the world. 
albeit whether home or abroad, that people are desperate in need. And I'm asking and going to dare you this morning. In fact, I want you just to close your eyes right now across here. I want to dare everybody in this place to get a picture and get a visual of people that are desperate and in need right now. People in foreign countries and every continent of the world that are going to bed night in, night out, that don't have food on their table. How many X amount of people that starve to death every single day? I'm asking you to allow the Lord, I'm daring you to open up your eyes to see the needs of the harvest. People that live and die and come and go in their entire lifetime without ever knowing and hearing the name of Jesus. We have an opportunity. We can step up and make a difference. Lord, I just pray. God, that you would help us to see the faces of people that are in need right now. Pray, God, that you would speak into our heart and challenge us. Dear God, that we would step out and become a part of a miracle. Lord, that we won't focus upon our problems, but, Lord, the problem solver. God, that we won't just focus upon our resources or lack thereof, but, God, how much you can take that and break it and multiply it a hundred times, fold, Lord. We just pray, God, you open up our eyes to see that. Dear God, dear God, that we will step out, release what we have, Lord, for you to do something incredible with, I pray, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Just one other thing, I want you to look this way, and then I'm, a, I'm just going to turn the mic to Pastor Jerry, because I, I feel like this is obviously the, the uh, thrust of what the Holy Spirit is wanting to speak to us. I know there's days when we have evangelistic services, the Holy Ghost service, altars, sometimes it's... Special emphasis on healing, all of the above. And if you have a need here in a moment and you want prayer, we'll be more than happy to take time. But today the Lord is saying, speaking to our heart about our finances and our willingness to be faithful to Him. And that's such such a key, critical area of our life. We were Del Carter to tell this, and then I'm going to have Brother Jerry come. But uh, we, I think it was 1988, 89, we went through the building program there at Calvary. And Pastor Clifton, early pastor, had set up everything with the bank for the loans that was needed and a capital campaign, all these thousands of dollars help us. It was several million dollar new sanctuary that set, seated 1,500 plus people and it was it was an awesome work. But uh, came down kind of the brass tacks months before we were getting ready to move into the building and uh, Pastor Clifton comes and says, you know what, one small uh, matter that we've kind of overlooked here is we, had, we don't have money to furnish the building. <laughs> We don't have money for the pews, the furnishings, and all that. We need to raise several hundred thousand dollars to do that. And he challenged the people. We need 500 people here this morning that will commit to give $1,000 for the furnishing. Above your tithe, above what you've already pledged to the church. But can you do that so that we can get the furnishing in for this new building? And at that time, Lane and I were just brand new youth pastors. We were living on a youth pastor's salary. Jeremy, raise your hand and say, I know what that is. Jen knows what that is, kid's pastor. Trust me, you won't do backflips over a youth pastor or a kid's pastor salary. You just won't. That's why there's not many people doing it. But uh, we had, had two little boys. We had nothing. $1,000 to us at that time, you could have said give 10000 or more, 20000 It just felt like it was undoable. But we got home that day after church, and we both felt the Lord spoke in our heart to do that. And so we made a commitment. We wrote a check out for $1,000. We knew that we were going to have to probably rob Peter to pay Paul and probably hold off on some of our bills next week. And, but we were just going to do it by faith. We stepped out. We did that. And it was on Sunday. The Lord was getting ready to show a brand-new youth pastor, a brand-new young honey newlywed got the believer in Christ, that he could do the miraculous. And so... 
24 hours after we wrote that check, there was a knock on our door. A lady came up to our door. It was about 5.30 in the evening on Monday. We just got home from the office, and Dee Carlson standing there at the door. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I can still visualize it right now. She had a white envelope in her hand. It was sealed. And she says, Steve Lane, I have no idea what's in this, but my boss, I work at the RV industry there in Elkhart, told me to bring this to you on my way home. Not to go home until I do, but to bring and drop it off your house. So here it is. I hope it's something good. Have a great day. See you later. She went on out. We walked into the kitchen. What's this, you know? Open up the envelope. <laughs> Let me know God is a good God. God is an awesome God. God will never, 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 everybody say never, be in debt to you. Never. You'll be in debt to him. You'll, he'll never be in debt to you, no matter what you do. In that envelope, there was more in essence, than what we had just given, in the, including a job invitation where that for the next several years she was able to work at that uh, RV industry and take our little guys when they were a few months old. How many, <clears throat> no, you don't, not very many jobs out there where you can take both little boys and work at your own pace, at your own hours, at your own schedule, and get paid very well for doing that. And it was awesome. And it was God just showing us, you know what, Fur, you cannot give me. <laughs> and that was the first time. Thank the Lord we've had other opportunities since then to do that some amounts and more, but I'll never forget that first time. And I want to tell you, maybe some of you today, it'll be your first time, but I want to challenge you. I want to dare you to do something so great for God that unless He intervenes, you'll miserably fail. One of our camp evangelists said that years ago. Attempt to do something so great for God that unless He intervenes, you'll miserably fail. Because then when it happens, a miracle happens, you'll know it's God, not you, man. <laughs> no, it's God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. This is an opportunity that you and I have to partner together with Speed of the Light because this matters. Um, today, as your pastor, one of my responsibilities is to uh, take care of you, to oversee things for you. This issue today this is not a fly-by-night thing that you and I can support. Speed the Light has existed for many years. It has been faithful. It has been tried. It has been true. You can trust giving towards Speed the Light. This is not about Lighthouse. Once you give to Speed the Light, not one penny of it will stay here. It's all going for Speed the Light. And so I'd like to encourage you to make a commitment over the next year as an individual or as a family, however you would choose to do it, to give $100 over the next year to speed the light. Understand, there's been seasons in my life when $100 was like $10,000. We've all been there. I just encourage you to allow the Lord to speak to your heart. I'd like to encourage you to give you're like I am. We spend our lives and uh, we go through life and we do a lot of things that yield no lasting results. I encourage you to invest in something that has eternal rewards. I love y'all. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. 
And I believe that as the Lord lays upon your heart, you will do what he asks you to do. I ask you to do nothing more than that. Just whatever the Lord will speak to your heart, you do. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today for all that you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, that you found us in our place and you didn't give up on us, but you brought us to a place of hope and healing and restoration. Father, as we have been challenged today with the message of the gospel and with the work of Speed the Light, Lord, I just ask today, this is um, not a guilt thing, You don't have to guilt anybody into anything, Lord. I believe there's people. Your sheep know your voice. And so I ask you, Father, today to speak to our hearts. You've already spoken to my heart today in Paula's. I believe you're going to speak to men and women across this room. That, Father, we're going to do everything we can to further the work of the kingdom of God. And Father, I do ask you now, Father, for each person that's walked in this building today. You know their life. You know the journeys that life has brought to them recently. Father, I pray today for those who need healing in their bodies. In this moment, right now. Father, I ask you to reach down and to touch them in a special way. Would you bring healing to sick bodies? Would you bring healing and restoration to diseased bodies? You are strong, O God. Father, I pray today for those who are brokenhearted and carrying heavy weights and burdens. Would you just reach out and touch them today? For those that feel like they can't hold on another day, would you give them strength? For in our weakness, you are strong. I pray for those today that they represent a marriage that's going through great difficulty. Father, you're the God of restoration. You're the God who can heal and restore brokenness. I ask you today to do that. Whatever need we may have, whatever need is represented by these people, Father, would you today, in this moment, reach down and touch them, I ask. I trust you, Father. I believe you. And I know that your word is true. Be exactly what each one needs today, I pray. In the name of Jesus. And all the church said together, amen. May the Lord our God, the God who loves you with an everlasting love, 
The God who loved you enough to send his one and only son, may he bless you with his abundant love. Not just a little to do. I pray today that you will be overly blessed with his love. I pray that his great, tender mercy and kindness will be yours in increasing measure. I pray every day that you live that you will find that his mercies are fresh and new every single morning over your life. May he keep you right in the palm of his hand. We love you. We believe in every one of you. And our prayer is that God's grace and strength will always be yours in abundance. Today, have a great day. And may the joy of the Lord always be your strength. God bless you. Have a great day today. May his grace be yours. God bless you.